Hello and welcome to Faculty Meeting. The general advice... Wait, wait, what? What's happening? I'm confused. You're jumping ahead in the timeline. This is a timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly situation here. Give me a minute. Just trying to keep you on your toes. (laughs) This is the 97th Faculty Meeting, which is the podcast where Caleb and I, Professor Crunch, Professor Fluff, get together and we talk about things that are going on in our world. Also known as the General Advice and Discussion Podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, also known as Professor Fluff. Joining me tonight, as always, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. You know what? I'm really glad I'm wearing my Connor Kent Superboy shirt tonight because I feel like reality has warped a little bit and I need to punch it until it falls back into shape. (laughs) So it's almost like this is our first episode of this type and not our 97th. I... I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I see bl- blue wavy lines. I think I'm recording. You're going to have to remind me how to cook this audio so we can edit it. I, I don't know what's happening. All right. Well, let's do what, what they do in uh, novels when they can't figure out how to get somewhere. They just jump ahead. And we're just going to jump past the part we can't figure out and say, hey, welcome to the show. So the point of these faculty meeting episodes is for Caleb and I to share some of the experience that he and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not work for everyone at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? Uh, No matter how rare it is, don't run into the street when you're playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) Great advice. Not what I was talking about. See, we call that a throwback here, Michael, because that's what we used to do, even though you always cut those bits out. Pretty much. And this one will get cut out, too. So, hey. Damn it. <laughs> <sighs> the cutting room floor is is literally covered with 57 examples of when Caleb gave a smart-ass answer to the question, and I cut it out, and it wasn't until, like, the 30th time, I'm like, oh, if we'd left all these in, it would have been a cool bit. Too late now. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you play, what system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So with all of that out of the way, we have quite a lot of things to talk about here this evening. So let me first say congratulations for being an any-nominated podcast host, co-host, or Thank you so much. It's an honor. It's a privilege. I'd like to thank the Academy. But that's me. I'm the Academy. Well, technically, we're the Academy. Are you thanking yourself? I'd like to thank ourselves for nominating ourselves. We actually did that because <laughs> that's the first step. But that's okay because everyone does. No. Be, right? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, th- there's still a vetting process. There is still an approval process. And the fact that we made it through that approval process is really freaking cool. So, yeah, congratulations to ourselves. I don't want to gush too much about it, but I feel like this does, this deserves a little bit of time. So if you're new to the show, hopefully you'll get past this. If you've been here for a while, you know that we like to ramble. You can just jump ahead five, six minutes. We'll be good. But this is a big freaking deal to me. And I, you know, and it's completely true. A hundred percent. The nomination is the award, whether we were, we come in first or second or also ran at the actual ceremony isn't really that important because in a lot of cases that's more of a popularity contest and there are certainly shows that are more popular than ours. Ken and Robin, you know, has won that award multiple times. So I kind of expect they'll probably win. But just the fact that we were nominated validates to me all the time and effort and energy that you and I have spent on this. And in, you know, total honesty, this is Michael being open here, I was starting to get a little burned out. Like, we do a lot for this. I put in a lot of time and effort. I know you do as well. And there was a part of me that started thinking, like, why are we, you know, what's what's the point of this? Where is this going to go? Is it ever going to go anywhere? Are we ever going to do enough with this to make it worth the effort? And I wasn't, like, ready to quit. But but there were starting to be some doubts that started to kind of pop in that, like, you know, maybe I do spend too much time. Like, like what does it matter if I spend a little less time editing and our, our episodes aren't quite as polished as, as they are? And this nomination has really revitalized my energy and my enthusiasm. And I just can't explain how happy I am just to have received that nomination. Again, beyond that, winning would be awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to be really upset if we don't because the nomination means so much. 
I think that's the best possible way to look at this situation. And you are absolutely right in your thoughts and emotions. Uh, when you first alerted me to the fact that we had been nominated, it was that jump up and down, run around in circles, this is so cool kind of moment. And I I absolutely agree with you. I, I think it is more exciting to be nominated simply because we said, hey, we've been doing this thing for years. And we nominated ourselves. Well, we submitted ourselves. We said, hey, we think we uh, deserve to be on the shortlist here under Best Podcast. And someone else agreed with us. Someone that was not a friend, a family member, or someone we paid. That I know that, of. Yeah, that we know of. This right. whole episode is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. We might find out that uh, at the end of this, we are paying somebody. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But I want to give a shout-out to the other nominees as well. Obviously, we've already mentioned Ken and Robin's uh, podcast, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. It is a perennial fan favorite. It you know it has won this award multiple times. Uh, there's also Role Play in Public Radio that's hosted by Ross Payton. It's another show that has won this award in the past. That's a very long-term established podcast with a large fan base. And then really good friend of our show, Shane and Ishan from the Total Party Thrill podcast, uh, who has been friends of ours for quite a while. They have a newer show, but their show is so well well done. Like They did such a great job kind of figuring out how they wanted to do their show before it ever launched. I mean, they're just... If you listen to their first episode, you're going to think they've done this for years, not just their first episode. So I am totally thrilled for them as well. And also friend of the show, Chris and Phil from the Misdirected Mark podcast, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting Chris at this last Origins. We've been very friendly with them online for a while. Cinda, who's part of our RPG Academy network, is does a second show with Phil where they talk about games. And I mean, I think those guys do an amazing job as well. So I you know, if someone were just to have said, hey, here's five podcasts I like, and we were on that same list, that would have been amazing to me, because that is a great list of podcasts to be part of. Uh, I think the uh, colloquial phrase goes walking among giants. That That's what this feels like. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a little bit giddy. And then I also want to give a quick shout out to our buddy who's also part of the RPG Academy Network. Kevin Smith, also known as uh, Sharn DM on Twitter, he runs a blog called Melvin Smith's Geekery. That's S-M-I-F-S, Smith's Geekery, who got nominated for Best Website. So, yes, that's awesome to see Kevin nominated as well. Kevin is an outstanding gamer. He is an amazing person in general. He is just a cool guy to hang out with and play games with and talk with. The fact that his blog is on that nomination list as well, is really, really cool. And of course, we are bringing all of this up because voting for the Ennies does start on July 11th. It runs through the 21st. This is a popularity contest. Go vote for your favorites. We're going to beg you for some votes eventually kind of thing, let's be honest. So you're going to go to the Ennies website and vote away. We, of course, want you to vote for us, but we also encourage you to vote your conscience. Unless it's Ken and Robin, then don't. Uh, unless it's not voting for us, and then we don't want you to vote your conscience. Uh, and, and, of course, there are tons of categories for the Ennies every year. If you have not checked it out before, if you have not really voted a lot before, if nothing else, it's a great way to see kind of the top five list of what's happened in the last year in the hobby. There are categories about specific modules, about games in general, about rules, about everything. So absolutely go check it out. Please, please, please vote for us uh, and vote for Kevin. And uh, do yourself a favor and look up everyone else who is nominated in the different categories that we don't have any stake in. Because you're going to see some cool stuff and you'll probably find something new that you didn't know about in this past year. Because a hell of a lot happened. Absolutely. Now the funny thing about all this, <clears throat> I use that word in air quotes, is that this was a hell of a week for someone who's borderline manic depressive. Because on Monday... We found out that we were nominated for an Emmy, which, as we've already gushed for like five minutes now, is a really big deal to us. We're super excited. On Tuesday, our show was taken off iTunes. 
And at this point, we're recording this. I have no idea when it's going to go up because until iTunes uh, restores us, we're not uploading new episodes. So, yay. We posted some stuff on Facebook and social media about what happened. If you really want to check out the details, feel free to go read it. Feel free to drop us a line. Long story short, this situation gave us the opportunity to rebrand a couple of our show titles uh, as you can tell by the fact that we are having a faculty meeting today. Instead of discussing things that may happen on a flat rectangular surface that you typically eat on. We are going to change the name of this show. We are going to adjust the names of a couple other things. We're not changing anything drastically. We are not changing the fact that we are the RPG Academy or the RPG Academy Network but we're going to put things a little bit more on brand. We've always joked privately about being professors, about going on field trips, about doing things that are kind of scholastically in theme. As the academy, we all have roles within the academy. So Michael and I are professors. Uh, the other guys that play games with us that you have heard on many of our other shows are all adjunct faculty. We have field trips. We, we try to stay on theme. Uh, one of the things going forward that you're going to see more of are more written articles and more published content for the site itself. That is probably going to be under something clever, like homework or something, something 101 and 201, things like that. We don't know. This whole episode is pretty wibbly-wobbly, so anything could happen. Long story short, to summarize myself, we're getting back on theme. We're, not that we ever left theme, but we have been encouraged to change our theme. We are taking this opportunity that has been given to us and trying to maximize it to benefit us, and rather than focusing on the negatives, focusing on the positives. So hopefully you are listening to this episode the same week the any voting starts because iTunes has restored our our podcast. At this point, we have resolved the issue that resulted in us being taken down. We're, we're just sort of waiting for the bureaucracy of Apple support to catch up. And hopefully any moment now we should be restored. So that's, that's uh, what we're hoping for. It will happen at some point. It's just a matter of how long does it, does it take. And we all know that iTunes is a gigantic corporation and takes a long time to get stuff done. Uh, however, I think we can say that uh, we have a positive attitude and a hopeful outlook, and all things positive going forward will be back on the air very shortly. We can absolutely say that. Moving on. So one of the other, actually, a couple really cool things that happened just before our show got taken down is one... I got to do a play test of Jim McClure's new game, which we teased in our last episode because uh, I got to do that Origins. He has now released that. It's going to be called Reflections, and it is a game that is sort of a derivative of a game that came out last year, I believe, called A Single Moment. Uh, an actual play of that was done on She's a Super Geek. And uh, James has basically taken it, Jim, James, uh, has taken it and sort of turned it very specifically into a samurai-type game. Uh, shocker, uh, where you play two samurai that have a, a feud and they're going to face off and duel to the death. And then you work backwards through a series of flashbacks to figure out how you led up to that moment. When I got to play a game of that, which will be an episode that gets released again, assuming we're back on the air, it'll get released the day of the, the Kickstarter. Uh, and I found out that based on my feedback on that play test that happened at Origins, he actually gave me a writer's credit. So I not only am nominated for an any for a podcast, I have my first ever RPG writer's credit on a book that will most likely succeed very well on Kickstarter uh, by the end of the year. So that was pretty freaking cool for me. That's definitely very cool. We have always wanted to get into writing on this show, uh, whether we are writing fiction, writing games, writing supplements, writing how-to discourses, modules, whatever. Both you and I enjoy writing and want to write. As a throwback, uh, we used to make the joke all the time, hey, did you ever know that Caleb and I wanted to be writers? Wait, you want to be a writer? I want to be a writer. Did we just become best friends? And that's why we dropped that bit, because... Eh. Yeah, it can only go so far. Uh, but yeah, in this hobby, uh, 
the general atmosphere of the role-playing tabletop game hobby is that it is fairly welcoming and inclusive for its participants to add content to it. We've said this many, many times. We are in the golden age of game development and game design with crowdfunding, with things like Patreon, with how easy it is, thanks to the internet, to talk to people worldwide and share your love of the hobby. We are just in a perfect situation to take these random ideas we have in a notebook somewhere and make them real. So the fact that Jim is doing something like this is cool. He is a great game designer. He is a great game master. I think maybe he could have expanded his boundaries a little bit. I mean, another samurai game? Jeez, we don't need that. <laughs> well, check out the Kickstarter because there's going to be other settings where you can play like Wizards Dueling or High Noon Saloon Gunfight Duels. Well, you know, I wasn't privy to this sneak peek that you got yourself, Mr. I Live Next to GM Jim McClure. This actually happened at Origins, which you were invited by me to. So have at thee, sir. You know what? I think we need to get Jim on this call so we can have a real duel. <laughs> well, he's got the rule set for it. Well, he's next door. Go get him. Well, he's a little further than that. <laughs> All right. So let's move on. So there's a couple other things I want to touch on here. So one of the other things, and this, this is going to wrap around a little bit, is the other thing that I did with Jim uh, when he came over to record that episode of his, of his game is he got to see the first ever version of a game that I am designing sort of as a joke. Not really as a joke, but it's not really a serious thing either. Like this isn't something I plan on spending, you know, hundreds of hours on developing and eventually trying to release, uh, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse, because that's what everyone does these days. But I have been thinking a lot about some of the games that I do enjoy and what it is about those that I like. And then in particular, again, if you listen to last episode, I was talking about my experience with Dungeon World. And I mentioned that I just don't like games that roll 2D6s. I just, I don't know. Something about that just doesn't stick with me. And I said, even if they were D12s, I would like it better because I think D12s are the best die. So on a 10 plus hour driving trip, I started to kind of fade into like a fever dream. And I essentially created almost whole cloth, a very rules light system that uses D12s instead of D6s. And it works a lot like Dungeon World. And, and I know that's pow powered by the Apocalypse games, but you roll two of them and then you have an, ex you know, a, sort of a, a chart of uh, things that can happen based on where your roll falls. There's a little bit more to that. I didn't just take D12s. I've added a few things in. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it didn't suck. Like I showed it to Jim. He gave me a little bit of feedback. I then ran a play test with it. That's actually what we were doing Tuesday night when I got the email from iTunes that we were coming down. And it worked pretty well as is. I mean, it's not ready, but I kind of expected it just to be ripped apart and, and torn apart. And it really wasn't. And then I shared it with you just sort of over a Google Hangout. And you also, you know, again, I'm not saying we've recreated the magic that is Cypher System or anything or D&D &D 5e, but for a rules-like game that came to me in a fever dream, I'm actually really happy with it. And that's kind of the cool thing about this hobby. You can take a totally random thought. Hey, you know, I don't like rolling 2d6s. I'd love to roll 2d12. And then let that thought evolve and expand into something totally new. And having had the conversation with you last week, yeah, you did borrow a lot of ideas from other game systems. But that's not abnormal in this hobby. A lot of games started as a new version of an older game. And a lot of games say, hey, here's this one idea from this other system. Let's take it. Let's evolve it. Let's manipulate it a little bit. So essentially with your system here, you have borrowed some concepts that you like a lot as both a player and a game master. And you've put them together in a new way. You've ripped apart the model and used the Legos to do something different. That's cool. Uh, the fact that it actually works and it's not just a, oh, okay, well, never mind. It was a great idea, but it just doesn't flow right. The fact that it is a really solid idea and it makes for a very interesting game is really cool. And, you know, I think if we had not been doing this podcast for so long, 
you might not have had the motivation to actually finish it. Oh, 100%. I, you ha- do you have any idea how many things I've created that I've never done anything with? Like, it's just like I have a brilliant idea. My my words here, brilliant. And then I just never do anything with them. And then it's like, like years later, I'll see something like on on as on TV sort of thing. Like, that's kind of the thing I invented like eight years ago that I never told anybody about. So absolutely, if it wasn't for this podcast, that would have just been like a fever dream. Like, hey, that's cool. And that would have been it. So there you go. This podcast not only is any nominated, but it is a proven motivator to get into game design. Absolutely. So the way that wraps into the next thing is I'm going to be going to Gen Con here in a few weeks, which is very exciting. One, because that's where the any uh award ceremony will be. So I will obviously be in attendance there. There's still a chance, however small, Caleb may be able to join me for that. He currently is not scheduled to go to Gen Con because of work things, but we're we're going to do everything in our power to change that. But one way or the other, I will definitely be there. Um, I'm also got, I've got some free time on my Gen Con schedule. And what I want to do is I want to schedule another play test of my Rankle Clark or Burger system. That's a working title. So there's a really good chance that if you're at Gen Con and you want to come hang out with us, and I'm going to go over where you can do that here in a second, you might get a sneak peek at this game. And I can absolutely guarantee if you come to a Catacon that this will be w- at least one of the things that I run will be a play test of this system at a Catacon. So this leads us into two things. One, I'm going to cover my schedule. But secondly, which I'm going to do first because this is Michael, uh, we have been doing a review drive for a while now, since uh, early in the year. And we were trying to get more reviews on iTunes so that we could help you know more people find us. And basically what we're doing is for every 10 new reviews on iTunes or Stitcher, we're going to give away a $30 prize pack, basically $30, at Gen Con. To someone who's going to be at Gen Con there, meet up with me. I'll basically give you 30 bucks cash, and you can go buy a beer with it, buy dinner, go buy the new game you want, whatever. Uh, you don't have to have written the new review. You don't ever have to have written a review at all. You just have to listen to the show, submit your name, and go to Gen Con so that you can get your prize. Because we were taken down off iTunes, it has pretty much eliminated the ability for anybody to give us any new reviews. When last we counted, I think we were at 22, maybe 23. So what I'm going to go ahead and just make an executive decision. We're going to count that as 30. So we're going to give away three of these prize packs at Gen Con. Uh, now, if we get back up on iTunes tomorrow and we end up with 70 new reviews, we you know we can go up a little bit. We we did max it at five, but we're for this point we're going to assume that we're going to go up a little bit. We're going to give uh, three of these away. So the way it works, you're going to email us at podcast at drpgacademy.com. For the subject line, you need to put Gen Con slash Acaticon, so we'll know what you mean. And then the way you enter is you have to tell us something. And Caleb, what is it we're asking them to tell us? We are going to ask you, in the completely theoretical, never ever real, totally arbitrary, hey, we have to rename the show, what would you name us? So the entire show, not not one of our shows, but if the RPG Academy, for some reason, had to be renamed completely, what do you think we should be called based off of what we do here and, and our show? It doesn't matter how good they are, how bad they are. This isn't a contest where we're going to pick our favorites. Everyone who enters will, will be randomized. We're going to draw three names. Th- that person will win. But you need to send them to us right away because we got to have them drawn and selected before Gen Con. You're going to have to find me at Gen Con. I will make myself available. And again, I'm going to go over my schedule here in a second. So do not enter unless you're actually going to go to Gen Con, please. And then the third thing is you actually do, in addition to getting 30 bucks, you also get uh, the Acaticon badge. You can come to Acaticon for the badge. We're not covering hotel or travel or anything. So in a perfect world, you're going to Gen Con and Acaticon. If not, we can make that work out. So... As soon as you hear this, if you're interested, again, you don't have to have ever written us a review before or after, just listen to the show, send us an email, tell us if we had to rebrand, what you would call us, and we will randomly pick three people, and those three people will win the prize pack. So anything else on there, Caleb? Nope. I think uh, I think we wrapped it up. All right. So let me kind of go over my schedule uh, somewhat quickly here, so that if anybody's interested and they want to try to catch up with me, uh, it'll make it easier. Obviously, I'm going to be on Twitter the entire time. 
at the RPG Academy. So if you're there and you want to say hi, that's probably a very easy way to do it. And what I may even do is cut everything I just said out and just say, go check out Twitter and Facebook and I'll post my schedule there. I apologize. We've now spent 30 minutes and said nothing. Uh, but, but hopefully, if you're new, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, normally we spend a lot of these episodes talking about advice. And the, the general conceit of the show was that we would take something that happened at our actual game table, something good or something bad, or just something interesting, and we would kind of bring it up and say, hey, you know, two days ago I ran this game, and this happened. I as the player, or I as the DM, this is what had happened, this is how I handled it. And we would just kind of discuss that process. You know, we would take a topic that happened at our table, and then we would discuss it. And we're still going to do that. We're just going to do it under the ambiance of faculty meetings because we're both professors. So we're coming to the faculty lounge. We're going to talk about things that are happening in our world. So that's what we try to do. Sometimes we don't have anything that happened that makes a lot of, you know, it doesn't really make sense for that type of show. So we'll take questions from the audience. People tweet them in, email them in. Sometimes we'll just go check out Reddit and look for a question that people are asking themselves or asking on there a lot. Uh, sometimes we'll just choose something that is of interest to ourselves. Like at some point we are going to talk about creating your own game system because Caleb's working on that. I'm now working on it. So we might devote an entire episode to that. But for tonight, we're actually going to talk a little bit about, uh, in the past, we have talked about different types of encounters in a game. Of course, you always have combat encounters. Most tabletop role-playing games are war combat simulations, so fighting is a core foundational aspect of how the rules work. No matter how much flavor and fluff you put on Dungeons & Dragons, it's all about fighting. So combat encounters are very, very typical. On previous shows, we have discussed skill challenges. We've discussed how to make an encounter around using skills creatively. One of our suggestions along this line uh, was basically converting a monster into an environmental challenge. So using the core mechanics of a dragon or a hydra or an iron golem to make some sort of environment for your characters to figure out how to get through. So maybe it was translating the, the stats of this monster into parts of a dungeon or using the structure of a monster to define how your PCs get from point A to point B through a forest or desert or swamp. Uh, and as is typical for us, we came up with a lot of cool options and theories. We didn't stumble across a, this is the best, awesome, most correct way to do it. But there are other types of encounters you can have too. The most classic secondary type of encounter to a combat encounter is a social encounter. A lot of people call it social combat. There are some systems that give you a ton of mechanics for making that happen. Uh, we've got to mention L5R, Legend of the Five Rings. That has a huge component of social interaction and social combat. Uh, I have no idea how it works. You, you roll a bunch of tens, you keep some of them, and then that means something. Well, I know how the dice work. I don't know how the social oh. part of it works. <laughs> so Exalted, also, you've been checking that system out. That also has some social combat aspects, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Exalted, which is in third edition right now, is a fantastic game. The book is gorgeous. The mechanics are very, very crunchy, which appeals to me as Professor Crunch. However... All of that crunch translates directly to narrative control and telling the best possible story in the most entertaining way. So it's a very in-depth, complex system. The book itself is over 600 pages, but it's a hell of a game, and a huge portion of it is how you interact socially with other players and other NPCs. Quinn Wilson is the go-to guru on Exalted. I am very happy that he is part of the RPG Academy Network with his show Swallows of the South. So yes, he is another resource if we really wanted to get into uh, how social 
combat or social encounters work. Right. And I just want to quickly plug, we're going to be doing a live stream of Exalted soon for what we currently call a trial, uh, which is where we try out a new game system. We're still working out the details, but a bunch of the different network members and Quinn is going to run us through a one shot. So if you are interested in that game specifically, uh, then you can take a listen to that. And if you want to check out L5R, of course, we do have the crossover with one shot. You can listen to part one on their feed, part two on ours. But uh, I think what we're trying to get here to is there is a different aspect of encounter design that doesn't really fall into either of those cleanly. So let us at the RPG Academy, let's Professor Fluff and Professor Crunch present to you a new theory. How would you handle a bureaucratic encounter? For me, the first thing that I thought of, um, well, the first thing I thought of was a faceless bureau- bureaucratic organization that is large and has so much more power you are, you know, minuscule against and you are constantly sending emails back and forth saying, what the F? But from media, actually what comes to mind is Dolores Umbridge from the Harry Potter books. And this this really falls into a category of encounters that, that doesn't always model well in RPGs, specifically D&D, where killing things is almost always option one, two, and three. And, you know, I see this question a lot that comes up through our, through our you know, feed and emails and on Twitter all the time and Reddit. You know, how do you have an encounter that doesn't end with someone shooting someone in the face. Because it happens all the time. Like, you put them in front of the king. They should know that you can't just shoot the king in the face because he's the king. And what does one of the players want to do? They want to shoot him in the face. And then you have to figure out how to deal with that. And in case you missed the joke, that is a throwback to a very old actual play here on the RPG Academy feed called Made Men. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's also pretty re- recent on uh, RPG Academy Network show Redemption, where someone decided to shoot Count Dooku in the face. Yeah. It happens. You, you you put a bad guy in front of the group that the, the group is supposed to revere. They shoot it in the face. Yeah, but he deserved it. Who the hell would pick <laughs> a name Dooku to be your Sith name? That's just stupid. That is pretty stupid. But anyway. Anyway, so the idea is, how do you create an encounter and possibly multiple encounters that without just removing agency from the players, because you might have someone who does want to just shoot them in the face that allows them to, to feel hatred growing toward that NPC opponent. So that when you do finally get that moment where you get to smack them in the face, it is so much more satisfying rather than just, well, you can't because reasons. Well, like with most of the topics we bring up here on the RPG Academy, There is not a clear answer, but there are many factors that fit into deciding how to do this in the best possible way at your game table. I think one of the first very important aspects to remember, and we've said this many, many times on many other shows, you've got to have player buy-in. You need to have players who are either asking for this type of situation to occur in your game or are willing to participate with it. If you've got a table where everyone loves running and gunning, kicking down doors, finding the bandits, killing the dragon, and you suddenly throw them into, hey guys, you're in the middle of a king's court and you have to figure out how to negotiate and you can't kill anything. No one's going to have any fun. Probably. So, Bring up the topic. Bring up the idea. If this is something you want to try, mention it to your group and see if they're willing to experiment. If this is something a player asks about, have a discussion and say, hey, well, why don't we try this to see if it fits? Why don't we try that? Hell, you could sit down with your gaming group and say, hey, guys, I want to try to figure out how to do a social, bureaucratic, non-combat encounter Why don't we try to figure out how to do it together? Make it a group effort. Make it a time killer while you're waiting for someone to show up with the pizza or someone to get there after they're rushing there straight from work. You know, figure out a creative way to do it, but get everyone involved and get everyone's permission. If you just throw this type of weird off-the-wall situation at your group, it's not going to go smoothly. And I know we've we've touched on this before uh, with the unwinnable combat that we as DMs teach our players how we want them to play the game. 
And if we constantly throw things at them, that swinging a sword and killing a bag of hit points causes the game to move forward, then that we're training them that that's what's going to continue to happen. So if they have seven encounters in a row that they are able to just fight their way through, and then then we decide, hey, I'm going to put them in an unwinnable situation because that'll be fun or interesting or that'll teach them a lesson, then don't be surprised when you TPK them because they don't know to run away because until this point, they've always succeeded. You have to filter in those types of encounters, whether it be social encounters, skill challenges, or this type of bureaucratic situation where they can't just kill things and succeed. So so to Caleb's point, if you just decide out of the blue to do this and you've never done anything like this before, don't be surprised when they shoot somebody in the face. But okay, so we say we're going to do it. We've either, we've got player buy-in or we just decide we're going to bite the bullet. What are some ways that you can craft an encounter or series of encounters that limit the options, but not the agency. Cause that's very important to me as a player. If you take my agency away, I check out so quickly, but as a, as a person who likes story, I appreciate the buildup of eventually you're going to get yours, Dolores Umbridge. And when you do, it will be more satisfying for the fact that we were not able to do it until this point. Well, I think one of the things you can do is utilize the connections between the PCs and the NPCs. And I don't necessarily just mean between the PCs and the NPC opponent that is the source of their problems. I mean the NPCs that flesh out the backstories of your player characters. People, characters, monsters, connections that have been made either in the writing of a backstory or, or let me interrupt you there, Caleb, because I think you're absolutely right. And that's, that's one of the very common media examples is a hostage. And I think that's where you were going, where you take an NPC that was created by one of the players in their backstory session zero, or just has become a beloved NPC through role play and you put them in danger and the bad guy has them. So yeah, you can shoot them in the face if you want to, but your NPC is going to die. And most people who appreciate storytelling will understand that that we don't want that to happen. Now, quick caveat, the players have to care about these NPCs. If they haven't built up a relationship to them, then they probably like, I don't care. It's the greater good. I'll shoot this guy in the face. Sure, that person dies, but the kingdom is safe, so it's okay. And just quickly, our general solution is have the the players create the NPCs that you want them to care about. Ask them, hey, who do you know in this town that you have a good relationship? Who saved your bacon last time you were in town? And then when they say, oh, yeah, old Martha, she's a witch woman who, you know, blah, 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 blah. Now they've helped create that character. They're going to be much more invested when you put them in danger. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's totally cool because that is exactly what I was trying to say. You preemptively summarized me, which was great. Uh, but maybe that's a, well, this is the first episode, so we're we're creating what will become canon. So is that what we're going to do going forward? I summarize you? You know, that doesn't feel right. I, I think, I mean, this is the first episode and all, but maybe we should try me summarizing you. Uh, fixed point in time, sorry. God damn it. And you're absolutely right. A, a situation based on threatening an NPC that has uh, a deep connection to the story and to the PCs is important. It's a great way to create this dynamic we're talking about here, but don't limit yourself to physical danger. In thinking about social, bureaucratic, non-combat things, what about financial problems? What about blackmail? What about someone's reputation being ruined? Uh, If an NPC was created that is the mayor of the town, what if a thieves guild is not trying to kill him or steal his money, but is threatening to reveal a deep, dark secret. How do you handle that? Obviously you could just go kill the thieves, but what if you can't for some reason? What if instead of the thieves guild, you have a dignitary from a neighboring country and he is here to talk to the empress that you are in service to. And you cannot kill this dignitary because it would ignite a war, which is a bad thing. The whole diplomatic immunity from classic 80s television. Absolutely. 
diplomatic immunity and getting 51% means you own the company. Those are the two staples of all <laughs> 80s movies. But yeah, let's say a situation is like that. Dip a diplomat comes in, is there to strike up a treaty with your empress. Your PCs are in service of this empress. She is well-loved. She is a benevolent leader. She is treating you well. She is treating the country well. And then in the course of the game, we reveal that the diplomat actually is here to take the throne not by force, but by virtue of what information he has on the empress, her family, and the ruling legacy. What I like about that, because my mind goes in various directions when we start talking about this stuff, is that you actually still have the door open to a shoot him in the face situation there. But then someone has to pretend to be that diplomat. And that gives you that very classic, uh, you know, can I pretend to be this person situation that's again, there's so many movies that you can play off of. And it could be very long term. You know, or you could have a situation where you have to make it look like it was an accident. So that's not exactly what we're going for. But what's key to me there is that we're not taking the agency away. Just because you make someone like a diplomat, you you still have the shoot them in the face option. But there has to be consequences, and either they have to deal with them, you know, like just understand that's what's going to happen, or they have to mitigate them in some way, which could create an awesome, almost like an entire campaign. Like maybe your campaign was they were going to go into the forest of Nevermore and fight the dragon in the middle, but instead it becomes a very political game where, you know, they have to find someone like the, the movie, the American president or whatever that was, Dave, I think they have to find someone who looks like that guy who's not a player. He's an NPC, train him to do that so that you can still have the players doing their normal stuff. But there's, certain aspects of the game that revolve around making sure that your doppelganger, quote unquote, can fulfill their obligations long enough for you to go do the other thing you need to do. And the key to this situation we're describing here is that you created a situation and you are letting your players figure out a solution. So going back to this example, you could do exactly what Michael said. You could theoretically take out this diplomat and try to find a duplicate or a clone or a doppelganger or a magic spell or some way to make it look like the diplomat is still alive. That's a totally viable option. Or you could kill the diplomat and start a war. Totally viable option. You could go into a very political, espionage-driven session, campaign, anything. <laughs> it might end up taking a really long time. To actually figure out all this information, try to do some counter blackmailing and figure out some dirt on the diplomat. Totally possible. But the key is you create a situation and you are letting the players figure out how their characters would react and act based on these events. I like it. I like it a lot. So another way that I was thinking that you might accomplish this is, uh, well, a couple come to mind. One is the faceless organization where, okay, yeah, I can kill the person I want to kill, but I don't actually know who they are. You know, the, the missives that are coming to me stating what my problem is always come by a courier who I know is a local person, or even if I kill that person, I'm just killing the messenger. You know, I don't know yet. There's there's layer upon layer before you get to the actual person who's behind it. So if you kill every person in front of you, you're still not solving your problem. Uh, the other thing I was thinking of is you take away their benefit, you know, by some like a royal decree. Okay, I'm going to go kill the thing that I want to kill anyways, but now no one in town will trade with me. So I have all this wealth that I got from the dungeon doesn't do me any good. No one will give me a place to say, stay. No one will sell me goods. I can't buy a horse. And you essentially force the characters to either bow down to that person that, that's trying to lord over them or they become outlaws. Okay, fine. You won't sell me a horse. I'll just steal it. Okay, but you've just stolen a horse. So you are now breaking the law and in a D&D type world there could be paladins that uh, are upset at you and they you know they follow the letter of the law they don't want to you know it's a Tommy Lee Jones Harrison Ford situation I didn't kill my wife I don't care I'm I'm told to hunt you down I'm going to hunt you down so the faceless organization that you can't ever get to the heart of or just removing all the normal rewards that you get from shooting things in the face take that away from the players they still can shoot things in the face but they don't get the satisfaction because there's no reward on the other side 
that is definitely a great way to approach the situation. However, I think you need to be very careful with that type of tactic because simply taking away a reward is very, very dangerously close to simply punishing the players for not doing what you want them to do. And and there is a moment of that, or a, a possibility, I should say. But in my mind, this would be temporary. So, like, they have to understand, okay, no one in town is going to trade with you because, you, you know, the king has dec- decreed that you are not part of the Adventurer's Guild and you're not allowed to do this. Well, then you need to solve that in some way. And, you know, that becomes part of the adventure. And once you've done that, or you can just, you know, you can always just leave town. Uh, you know, that there's always that option, which I think really ties back into what you're saying is you got to have player buy-in. They have to understand that this is a type of game that you're interested. It's a story you're interested in telling and just shooting things in the face. You know, that's always an option in D&D, but realistically, it's not the one that I'm trying to get you to take here. If you buy into the story I'm trying to tell, you know, you could even tie it into mechanics in a weird way. It's saying... You know what? I'll give you the experience that you get for killing the monster, but I'll give you a double if you don't kill things. Like, you know, I'll I'll sort of like, it's like playing in hard mode. I'll give you greater reward for trying to do these other things, but without player buy-in, that's just going to, you know, that's railroady DM behavior, which I am not always a fan of. And, you know, let's, let's take that and segue a little bit to talking about mechanics. Mechanics need to be a part of this experiment this type of combat this type of scenario you need to make sure as you're going into it that either you are playing a game whose mechanics are very focused on this type of not necessarily non-combat but alternate method of solving problems or you need to be prepared to adapt rules to handle this type of thing let's look at Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Obviously, a lot of those mechanics are all focused on combat, fighting and killing things. This type of situation we're getting into probably is a lot of social discussion, investigation, uh, observation kind of checks. And I don't think that the D20 system in D&D 5e really works for that. There, there's not a lot of social skills. There's not a lot of dynamic in a social combat, social investigation kind of situation. So you need to either figure out another way to handle it or rewrite the rules a little bit or add in a new set of rules. I would just caution there because I think a lot of times we aim our advice at newer players and newer DMs. And I think that's that's a dangerous can of worms you might be opening if you want to try to start adding in rules or rewriting them. Not to say, you know, you can't. Maybe you do a great job of it. But for most newer DMs, I think that's that's a potential for abuse because they might do it poorly. So what I would suggest, the the thing that I would say that without changing the rules is just make sure everyone's involved. So imagine you're running a combat. You know you've got the barbarian. You know you've got the fighter. Both of those players enjoy combat. They are built for that. But you still want to build encounters where the other players get to be involved, too. You know, you have ancillary goals that, you know, maybe this character doesn't fight the main forces. They're trying to sneak around and do whatever. Or you have the, you know, the magical portals that's about to open. So the wizard character is trying to, you know, arcana that closed. It's, quote, unquote, the exploding bomb scenario where one person's disarming the bomb. Everyone else is trying to keep everyone away so they can do that. So when you're creating these encounters, make sure that you're including something for everyone to do, not just the person who's quote unquote the face. Sure, the person who put, you know, who's playing the bard or who's playing the charismatic rogue, this is their time to shine, but it shouldn't be DM one player for two hours back and forth while everyone else just watches. Because honestly, that's where shooting the face comes from, is you have a bored player and they're like, I can't do anything here. I'm not designed for this. I'm going to make this situation something I can deal with. I'm going to turn it into a combat. I'm going to shoot somebody in the face. We're going to roll initiative and I'm going to have fun. So make sure you give them something to do. And it should be something that they are good at. Uh, You know, you could have the situation where maybe the negotiations are happening during a gladiatorial arena. So you're 
biggest fighter dude is in the middle of the, the, the ring fighting while you're having the negotiations with the Empress. And maybe you have your buddy throw the fight so that you put them at, you know, you cost them a lot of money. You talk them up. They bet a lot of money on your guy. You have your guy throw it. So now that person owes you a crap ton of dragons. That's leverage you can have over them. Uh, you know, or you have them be a distraction. The barbarians at the gala event making a mess of everything, drawing everyone's attention while you do the other thing. So at the end of the day, just make sure that everyone's involved doing the thing that they want to do. Don't force people who don't like to do social role play to do social role play. Let them do their thing, but that helps the social role play. And worst case scenario, just have them role play NPCs. You know, if it's going to be a long NPC back and forth, tell them, okay, you're this guy, you're this guy, you're this girl. Role play those guys for the next half hour because we're going to be talky talky. And I don't want you sitting there building dice towers because when you build a dice tower, you shoot someone in the face. That should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> and this, I, and I think we touched on this concept a few episodes ago. Think of this as the heist movie. Think of this as Ocean's Eleven. Think of this as any Rat Pack movie. Everyone has a role to play in resolving the situation, even if they're not all the main character. So let's say the bard is there as the face of the party talking to the dignitary in the throne room. The fighter and barbarian can be off causing a distraction. They could be dealing with the thugs that are sneaking in to ambush the bard. Uh, they could be challenging the guards to a contest of strength to distract them so they don't see the uh, rogue sneaking in to gather some information. So maybe the paladin could be off talking with the dignitary's retinue of followers discussing religious philosophy, again, to distract them, or maybe to trick them into revealing some information, or to get them to let him into their camp so he could figure something out or rescue somebody. Just get everybody involved. If everybody's doing things, but it still plays to their strengths as a character, everyone's involved, everyone's still participating in moving the story forward. And again, very classic media. You can see a situation where the main bureaucratic bad guy has set up a, a meeting with the players. They have set in motion plans to take out the PC's assistants, their guards, so to speak. So you're in this tense negotiation. The NPC feels like they have the upper hand because they know that the, the people that are standing behind the PCs are actually on his payroll or her payroll. And at the right moment, they're going to turn tables when in fact, that's what the players have done to, to them. And the moment where he or she snaps their finger thinking they've got everything under control, it's revealed that they're actually alone in the room and, and the other players' PCs have taken the role of that person's guards. I don't know if I explained that very well, but hopefully you understand. The the comeuppance, so to speak, is is what makes that so great because they think they have the ultimate power. And this brings me to what I think is a good point, and particularly for new DMs. Don't be afraid for your character's your NPCs to look foolish. Now, sometimes you don't want them to be because you want, again, you want to build that, uh, that hatred up that I'm smarter than you. I have better positioning than you. I have better superior, you know, I'm superior than you. But when you finally come down time for your, for the dice to hit the table, they're probably going to make your NPC look very foolish. They're going to shout obscenities, possibly insults, whether they're in character or not. Do not be invested so much in your NPCs that you don't want them to look foolish because that's when you can start getting to the, the situation where you want to railroad or you just want to make your NPCs not killable because you love them so much and you want them to come back. All your NPCs are going to die eventually. Just don't have any that you're married to. Feel free to let the players feel powerful and cool when they do things and, and they eventually shoot that guy in the face. Let them give their you know witty rejoinder and laugh with them rather than feeling sad that this NPC that you thought was going to last and be the main bad guy at level 20 got shot in the face at level 4. That is a really good piece of advice. GMs typically are not playing against the players. They are there to facilitate the telling of a story with the players. And whether as a GM you are weaving your own tale, whether you are 
simply letting the players define the facts of this story and then you uh, deal with it and facilitate it and handle the telling of that story. It's not a board game. It's not a it's me versus you kind of game. Now, there are plenty of games that are like that. And running a game like that is not necessarily a bad thing. As we said at the top of the show, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. If, if this is how you have fun and your table has fun, absolutely, by all means, go for it. But for the most part, that's not how Michael and I run our games. And just to kind of spin it around as we wrap this topic up, to any of our new players out there, the same goes for your characters. I know there's some social issues that have uh, that I've kind of seen happen at the table and, and heard about where you play RPGs because you want to live this fantastical version of yourself and your your avatar in the game can do all these cool things and they get to say the cool lines that you never get to say and they get to be powerful. But sometimes to tell a good story, your PC needs to be the butt of the joke. Whether that's in the party and someone else in, in the party, like the bard or the rogue, you know, kind of you're playing the the dumb barbarian they want to play off the fact that you're not playing a bright character make it fun for you but but don't you know don't fight against them work together to try to tell a good story so that that someday at some moment you're going to break out with some words of wisdom that's going to be like every jay and silent bob movie where silent bob finally says something that's really poignant that it's like oh okay that's we've built to that moment and if your character sometimes this bureaucratic bad guy makes the perfect sense. Sometimes you just have to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to shoot you in the face because for this story to grow, you need to come out ahead of my character. Now that's going to make me not like you. Eventually I'm going to come back and, you know, and work this out. So sometimes you have to be made fun of. Sometimes your character has to be the butt of the joke for this overall story. I don't know how else to say it. You need to learn to be okay with that. If you really want to get into true role-playing depth. Yeah, you can play it like a board game. You can murder Hobo. And if you enjoy that, absolutely go for it. For me, I don't mind if my characters sometimes are the butt of the jokes for the sake of a good story. And I think really specifically tonight, that's what we're talking about, is allowing your characters to lose so that when they do win, it's more satisfying. And I think that hand-in-hand with this type of advice it is important to remember that engineering this type of story, this type of extended encounter combat situation, however you want to define it, this type of thing needs some planning. I personally am not at the point in my skill of running games that I can engineer something on the fly that has that sort of satisfying result at the end. Uh, if I were to plan this type of encounter, this type of session, I would need to, at the very minimum, jot down some notes, uh, some story map ideas about who's connected to whom, why this works, what the consequences might be in different situations. A political situation needs to have the foundation of those political consequences and ramifications. If I could do that on the fly, I would love it, but I can't do that. So I have got to prepare for that kind of thing. So if this is something you want to run and you don't feel you have the strength or you're a little bit unsure or you just want to make sure that when you're saying things, when you're role-playing, it makes sense, don't be afraid to jot down some notes. Don't be afraid to prepare some things. As much as Michael and I talk about doing things on a more improvisational level, and being more in the moment and reacting to your players, it is absolutely okay and sometimes very necessary to prepare what's going to happen so it makes sense. Absolutely. And I will counter that advice and just say that if you ever have something that doesn't make sense in your game, work backwards and make it make sense. And I know we've talked about this many, many times, so maybe you don't catch it, but at the end of the session, someone's like, Well, you know, it doesn't make sense because that one NPC told us to go there, but we actually got attacked in the alleyway when we decided to take a shortcut. You're right. That doesn't make sense. I knew I wanted to have an encounter. I thought it'd be cool. The fact that you took a shortcut to make it an alleyway attack rather than in the tavern. 
And then you just, this is the, the biggest secret. You look at your players, you, go, you smile and you say, that is weird, isn't it? And then you just don't say anything else. And then you rack your brain for the next week going, okay, how do I make that make sense? Okay, obviously the person in the tavern, or no, there was a street urchin. A street urchin is, and you just make it make sense in some way. And then over several sessions, you've got several of these loose ends that you've always just sort of said, that is weird, isn't it? And then you just put someone there who is the mastermind behind all of those inconsistencies that you've now retconned into reality. And, you know, that's one of the cool things about developing a story as you're playing the game. You don't have to have the whole thing written out ahead of time. If you were writing a novel, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, right? you shouldn't yeah. <laughs> uh, if you were writing a novel, you would plan out all the characters. You would probably have some sort of big giant idea map. We've all seen the things online about how such and such an author prepared for such and such a series of books. And we see all the characters and how they're related and the little side note about, oh, he said this one thing this time and now it pays off in book eight, even though he said it in book two. We've seen those crazy maps. I know I write those kinds of concepts when I'm working on a big project like that, but I don't do that when I'm working on a game because I want everything to happen organically. But just because you're letting it happen organically doesn't mean you don't figure out the larger story after the fact, which is exactly what you were saying. Well, yeah, I mean, in a novel or a series of stories, you're going to go backwards. Like you may get to the end of the book and go, oh, okay, I do know how I now know who the killer is. So then you go backwards and, and go into early chapters and you lay those foundations. It's it's very rare that someone lays those foundations as they write. Like that very often that's the editing process. And maybe even, you know, you have an editor who comes in and you have people who read your novels for you will say, hey, you know, I really didn't catch on. I, there was no way for me to figure out who the killer was. You really need to lay some breadcrumbs earlier and those go into revisions and I've said this before, you know, writing, playing D&D is basically writing a first draft collaboratively. You're very rarely, I'm not going to say never, but most of us are not going to be able to do it to the same level you would if you were writing and you could control everything, which is why so much of that just smile and nod and then try to figure out how it makes sense later is in the toolbox. Because we all have to do that. Again, if you don't have to do that, I want to play in your game because you are a much better GM than I am. I can run a good game. People will have fun. But it's it's kind of like a popcorn movie. At the table, everybody will have fun, but there might be some questions after the game where someone goes, you know, it really didn't make sense. And again, all I do is smile and go, you're right. That didn't make sense. It did it. Hmm. That's odd. And then hopefully I'll figure it out by next time. But this episode has gone long, so I'll go ahead and we'll wrap it up here and just say, if you, anybody out there listening, if you've ran that type of game where you've set up the bureaucratic, uh, you know, bad guy who can't just be shot in the face, how did it go? How did it work? Good or bad? Let us know what you did and what the results were. And that's something maybe we can share on future episodes. And again, anything that we've talked about here tonight, as Caleb said before, we don't really dispense with advice as much as we just kind of talk through issues. And that's that's kind of what we do here. And we hope that somewhere in our conversation, there's something that you can latch on as an idea or a concept, or it just inspires you to do your own thing uh, at your own table. And we would love to hear it from back from you. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, obviously uh, the website, you know, Michael at the RPG Academy.com, Caleb or podcast or network. And don't forget about our Gen Con review drive. So basically starting now, email us podcast at the RPG Academy.com subject line Gen Con slash Catacon. And then tell us if we had to change the name of the show, what you think we should change it to. So, Caleb, any final words from you before we wrap this up tonight? No, I think it's safe to say that we can successfully adjourn this meeting. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. 
we use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.